How good was this offseason for the Devils? And should they be worried about the Pittsburgh Penguins now that they have Eric Carlson added onto their roster? We have a lot to discuss in today's episode of Locked on Devils. Buckle up, everybody. You're Locked on Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked on Devils with Trey Matthews. All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils podcast here on the Locked On Network. I'm your host, college hockey play by play announcer, Devils writer for Bucks and Pitchforks, and also part-time credential media member, Trey Matthews. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins and discuss whether or not they pose some sort of threat in the Metro for the New Jersey Devils after acquiring Eric Carlson. And we're also going to talk more about the Devils prospect pool because I have a treat courtesy of Locked On NHL Prospects. But before we talk more about the Devils Young Guns and Eric Carlson in the Metro, let's talk about the offseason in general for the Devils. Now, a little over a month ago, NHL Network asked their audience via Twitter, what grade would you give the Devils so far this offseason? Now, obviously, that's been the talk of the town amongst the Devils discourse. A lot of people have been praising Tom Fitzgerald because he's been making smart business decisions. He's unloaded on some players that are a little washed up or kind of ran their course with the Devils organization. He was able to make some key additions. And I think the main thing that Fitzgerald was able to do was retain certain assets. Now, when I saw this tweet from NHL Network a little over a month ago, I read some of the responses and quite honestly, they were a little shocking because I saw some people saying that, wow, the Devils lost more players than I recalled, or they're going to be mid, they're all hype, and they're not actually going to perform all that well. I give this offseason for the Devils a C- minus or a D, and I was just like, you know what? When the time comes, I'm going to react to those uh, claims, and I'm going to meticulously break it down and also give the Devils a letter grade. But I think a lot of you already know what my thoughts are for the Devils this offseason, which was it was a big success because the main thing the Devils were able to do, they were able to retain a lot of players. But before we get into all that, let's look at some of the key additions that the Devils made this offseason. So the big one was Tyler Toffoli, then Colin Miller, and obviously Tomas Nosek. And We're not going to include uh, the players that the Devils signed to two-way deals because I think that helps the Utica comments a little bit more. But when breaking down the key additions for the Devils, I like all three because for Toffoli, you get someone who has won a Stanley Cup before. He was a part of the LA Kings team that won in 2014 against the New York Rangers. Toffoli's coming off a career year with the Calgary Flames. So I always say on this show, strike while the iron is hot. So I think Fitzgerald made a smart investment in trading away Yegor Sharangovich and a third round pick for the services of Toffoli. Now, is he going to be a rental for the Devils? I don't really know. Fitzgerald has said that one of his goals is to re-sign Toffoli, but obviously you got to factor in a few other players that are due for paydays as well. But we'll talk about that in a way, way, way future episode. But for the time being, to fully add it to this roster 
It makes the top six that much more dangerous for the Devils. Toffoli doesn't have to be the go-to guy. A lot of people criticize Toffoli for his skating abilities, but I can guarantee you one thing. If he's paired alongside Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes, I think he'll be just fine. So I think the main thing that Toffoli uh, needs to bring to this organization is obviously the experience and some good playing capabilities. Now, is he going to top his career high last year with the Flames? I personally don't believe so, but he doesn't have to be the go-to guy once again. And then when looking at Colin Miller, I think that is a very good under-the-radar type of move for Fitzgerald because he traded away a fifth-round selection in not 2024, but 2025 for the services of Miller. And I've discussed it in prior episodes, whether I'm doing the show solo or I'm discussing with Jersey Joe. But the main thing that I could say for Miller is that he skates really well and he was tops on the stars in a lot of categories, including hits, blocks, defensive point shares, plus minus, whatever the case might be. I think Miller is going to be, once again, a diamond in the rough type of player. And the main thing that Miller needs to do is just bring some defensive depth to the right-hand side for the Devils. So I think the less you ask out of him, the better he's going to perform because we know how the playoffs went for Miller. That's why he was a healthy scratch as the, the series progressed for the Dallas Stars. But at the end of the day, I think they're going to use him more as a bottom four defenseman. So I think Miller can definitely just uh, ease into it a little bit better. And there's no guarantee that he's going to be the go-to guy uh, and be paired alongside with Kevin Ball. It really depends on how ready is Shimon the Mets, but nonetheless can't hurt to have more depth. And I think Colin Miller is going to add that depth. And now when looking at Tomas Nosek, I, once again, I love Nosek because he does the little things, including like face-offs, hits, blocks, everything that you want out of like someone like Michael McLeod, Nosek is able to do. Now I know one of the main talking points is, uh, wondering as to whether or not Nosek is going to replace McLeod in, clay, in case McLeod's scandal with Team Canada goes south. But I will discuss that if if and when that time comes. So no new information as of yet, but Nosek, I think, definitely adds some more depth. Now, when looking at some subtractions for the Devils, let's go down the list. So Jesper Boquist, that was to be expected because – Boquist, unfortunately, he showed some glimpses of solid play, whether it was skating really well or able to produce on the PK, maybe able to go on a bit of a scoring streak. But Boquist was just never consistent. And I think uh, it's something I've been talking about the last few years on this show, which is I'm impressed that Boquist is able to step up his game when it matters most. But I think the one thing that we need to focus more on is consistency. And then going on to Yegor Sharangovich is the same thing. The one thing I struggle with Sharangovich is that he could never find his consistent groove. He was commanding the third line. And unfortunately, while the Devils were on a 13-game win streak, you sort of forgot that third line, once again, being anchored by Sharangovich. Now, Sharangovich has had his moments of glory, whether it was scoring his first career NHL goal against the Boston Bruins in OT to uh, send the Devils home happy or uh, able to step up against the Toronto Maple Leafs and keep the Devils' win streak alive. But the one thing from Cher is that you never got that consistent play. And then when Timo Meyer was added to the roster, if it weren't for injuries, Sharon Govich would have been a healthy scratch more often than not. 
For Thomas Tatar, unfortunately, he's just the victim of the Devils' success. I would have liked to have Tatar back, but that was before the Devils got to Foley. And once again, I will, I can't reiterate this enough. I think Tatar is a very good player, and the fact that he's still on the open market just baffles me. But the facts are, are simply this, which is the Devils are trying to keep a porch light open for someone like Alexander Holtz and Nolan Foote. And then when looking at the fourth line, that's mostly going to be Curtis Lazar, Nathan Bashan, and Michael McLeod. So I just don't think Tomas Tatar would hypothetically fit in anywhere if uh, if he were to return to the Devils uh, organization. And then when looking at Miles Wood, unfortunately, progressively got worse, highlighted in the playoffs. Ryan Graves, once again, Devils just couldn't afford him. Plain and simple, and he got outplayed by Luke Hughes. So I think that made it a little bit more comfortable for Fitzgerald to say, we're going to move on from you. Same thing with Damon Severson. A lot of young talent in the pipeline. They got a cheaper option in Colin Miller. So Damon Severson, in a weak free agent market, he was going to get paid. Mackenzie Blackwood, he just hit a brick wall with the Devils. He crashed and burned come the end of the year. And he was a, the third string goalie come playoffs. Blackie needed a fresh start. Then when looking at the key moments during the offseason, was Tom Fitzgerald able to retain a lot of key assets, including Nathan Bastian, Jesper Bratt, Eric Halla, Michael McLeod, and obviously Timo Meyer. So if I had to give this offseason a letter grade for the Devils, I'm obviously going to give them an A because Fitzgerald did the necessary things in order for it to be in a successful offseason. I listed the subtractions for uh, you guys, which was, Yes, some of those players were good for the Devils, but Ryan Graves got outplayed by Luke Hughes. Miles Wood, he's going to be replaced most likely by Curtis Lazar. Thomas Shatar, replaced by Tyler Toffoli. Damon Severson, replaced by Colin Miller. And Miller, once again, able to produce quite efficiently on the defensive side of things. So I think for the Devils, I know people look at the subtraction and say, oh, they lost a lot of key players, but... You're not looking at who's behind those respective players and what they're capable of doing. So this offseason for Devils was an A, and also look at who they resigned. Yes, people might glance over Michael McLeod and Nathan Bastian, but they were two crucial players in order for the Devils to be successful because they added more depth. So Nathan Bastian, interesting case, doesn't stick out in any particular category, but somehow, someway, the Devils perform better when he's on the rink. Same can be said for Michael McLeod. Timo Meyer, he added more physicality. Eric Halla, Swiss Army knife, able to do a little bit of everything, and he took a lot of burden off the shoulders of Jack Hughes, and Halla is one of the X factors as to why Hughes was able to thrive. Jesper Brett adds more scoring options. So I think for Fitzgerald and whoever on Twitter was saying that the Devils got worse somehow or they lost a lot of players or they're all hype, I hope this sort of paints a picture and gives you a different perspective, which is, yes, the Devils lost some players that were good for them, but I think uh, the replacements are, are definitely not nobodies. I think they're definitely going to play a big role this season, and I think the Devils are still going to be a scary team in the Metropolitan Division. Speaking of scary team in the Metro, we need to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins and them adding Eric Carlson to the roster because, like I said in the prior episode, Carlson is the reigning 
Norris Trophy winner. But before we continue, I want to tell you guys about a product I use literally every day. So I started taking AG1 because I wanted to be happier. I wanted to be healthier. My body is a temple. I got to start treating as such. So I drink AG1 in the morning before I work out, before I go to class, because it just gives me the energy boost that I so desperately need. And once again, body is a temple. Got to start treating as such. Only life you got. AG1 is a foundational nutrient supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health. AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Science-driven and formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients, AG1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplemental routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. That's drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. Check it out. Okay, let's talk about Eric Carlson and him finding a new home in Pittsburgh and now being a part of the Penguins organization. So when this trade first broke, I asked on the Locked On Devils Twitter page, I was curious to hear your guys' thoughts. How much better are the Pittsburgh Penguins now that they got Carlson on their roster? Because like I said before the break, Carlson is the reigning Norris Trophy winner. He had a very productive season on the San Jose Sharks blue line. And we all knew that Carlson was going to get traded. It was a similar circumstance to Timo Meyer. It wasn't a matter of if, it was more a matter of when, who was going to be the right suitor. And the Pittsburgh Penguins came knocking on the door. They were rumored to get Carlson for quite some time. I heard the Ottawa Senators were also trying to reunite with them. But at the end of the day, Carlson is now a Pittsburgh Penguin. So, when I tweeted that question out, I read a lot of your guys' response, and a good chunk of you who responded to that tweet have the same perspective as me. Now, I just want to give this full disclaimer. I do not follow the Pittsburgh Penguins religiously. This is an outside perspective. Obviously, I do not cover the Penguins, so just giving that full disclaimer. So what do I think of this trade for the Penguins? Are they going to be a new contender in the Metro? Is this a team that the Devils have to look over their shoulder and say, oh, no, we, we, we got to be careful around them. Well, here's my perspective as to what the Penguins were trying to do. Obviously, the Penguins are sort of in a win-now circumstance because prior to the trade, they were sort of in purgatory. They couldn't contend, but they couldn't blow it up and rebuild either. So, obviously, they got their three-headed monster in Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. Now, Crosby is still putting up big numbers. Malkin is still putting up big numbers. And Latang, obviously, he had to deal with some stuff uh, just this past season, but I still think he can hang. But the problem that I have with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang is that they're getting older. And also, another X factor that we have to consider is that Jake Gensel, is he going to be ready at the start of the season? Because I'm hearing reports that maybe he'll, it's going to be a day to day circumstance at the beginning of the year for. Gensel, or maybe he'll be out for a few weeks, but it's not just Gensel. Can this team stay healthy? Because that was one of their big problems last year, which was, yes, they had a lot of talent on this roster, but they weren't able to stay healthy. And also I'm a little concerned 
for their goalie tandem. So TJ, Tristan Jari, I have no doubt in my mind he is the go-to guy for the Penguins. He's not what I'm concerned of. I'm concerned with the person that's supposed to back him up in Alex Nedeljkovic because Nedeljkovic last year with the Detroit Red Wings, he didn't perform all that well. So when looking at that goalie tandem, I trust Jari to an extent, but Nedeljkovic kind of scares me if I'm a Penguins fan. And now the big question is Eric Carlson. Yes, he won the Norris Trophy just a few months ago, but the thing that we need to factor in is that once again, Malkin, Crosby, Latang, they're all getting older. And the same can be said for Carlson because Eric Carlson is currently 33 years of age and he will not be out of his contract until after the 2026-2027 season. So yes, he just won the Norris, but how much further can he go? That's my main question for the Penguins. And let's not make a mistake here. Carlson is not good defensively. He's a turnover machine, but obviously that gets somewhat exonerated and it's somewhat forgiven since he puts up a lot of points. And I guess you have to factor in the team he was playing on, which was the San Jose Sharks, and they're not a good team, period. But it still doesn't take away from the fact that Carlson is getting up there in age. So I don't know how much further you could push him. Now, does Carlson make the Penguins better? Well, by default, yes, absolutely. And I jokingly say that the Penguins are now the, the Pittsburgh Devils because they got a few former Devils players on the roster, including Ryan Graves, Andreas Johnson, Will Butcher. I think they're also trying to sign Thomas Shatar. But digressing a little bit, yes, the Pittsburgh Penguins are better. But the problem I'm having is that they didn't solve their issues, which is they need to get young up front. So when people are saying, like, is Carlson going to make the Penguins contenders? In my opinion, I still think the Carolina Hurricanes and the Devils are the teams to beat in the Metro. So obviously, like I said moments ago, the Penguins are in win-now circumstance, which is why they felt comfortable trading for Carlson in that three-way deal involving the Montreal Canadiens. So I'd say that the the Penguins, their best chance at getting back into the playoffs is via the wild card. So I think it doesn't really change the circumstance in that sort of aspect because you got to factor in age, you got to factor in health, and you just got to factor in what was their problem in the first place. And I don't think Carlson solves that answer. Now, once again, and I can't reiterate this enough, this is just based on my perspective. So and a lot of you responded to my tweet when I asked that question, which is how much better are the Pittsburgh Penguins now that they have Eric Carlson added onto this roster? So is this a team that the devil should worry about? I wouldn't think so. I don't think it's going to be like top of their priority list, but obviously it's a divisional rival. You don't want to take them lightly, but I don't think the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to be the team to worry about in the Metro. Obviously, they're going to gather up a lot of attention, but I don't think the Devils or the Hurricanes are going to be really sweating bullets, worrying about uh, the, the Penguins and them adding Carlson. So I just don't know. I don't know about Carlson on defense. I don't know about Latang on defense. That's where I'm a little murky about the the the, the trade for the, the Penguins. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section or 
If you're listening on podcast streaming service, make sure to uh, reach out to me on Twitter. Do you think that this Penguins team is any better now that they have Carlson added to the roster? So my answer is by default, yes, but they still haven't resolved any of their issues. Now, courtesy of my friends over at Locked On NHL Prospects, Sebastian High had sent me a video of him discussing the Devils and their prospect pool. I felt like now was the appropriate time to play it because, as you guys know, a couple episodes ago, I had Ben Burnell appear on my show. He covers Utica comments for Daily Sentinel Sports. So this is sort of like a follow-up episode to that collaboration with Ben. So Ben had a lot of things to share about the Utica Comets. He shared his insight in regard to some of the Devils' highly touted prospects. But here's Sebastian's thoughts on the young guys in Utica for the Devils. Check it out. The Devils are a strange one. And because I, I've i struggled to, to really pin them down in terms of our actual ranking because there is very little depth in their pool. That said, they have Luke Hughes and Simon Nemitz, which changes a lot. Those are big factors that uh, really, really, really change the outlook of a team. Uh, They have Luke Hughes, Simon Nemitz, and Seamus Casey. Those are three high-end offensive defensemen. Well, Nemitz a bit less so, uh, that uh, bring a lot of potential uh, to the future lineup of the Devils, who already have a fairly decent defensive core. Uh, Luke Hughes has the most skill of the bunch. Uh, he's already played playoff minutes in the NHL, and uh, we're just throwing him in here in the mix because he hasn't actually hit our minimum requirement of 10 regular season games just yet. And uh, he, he finished off a tremendous career at the University of Michigan uh, with a bit of a bitter defeat to Quinnipiac in the frozen four, but uh, this is a player who can really dominate games in the offensive zone. He willingly activates. And while his defensive game is already a big step up from his brother, his brother Quinn, it still will need work. It will need steady progression over the next couple of years in order for him to earn a true top pairing role. But the offensive skill and the deception and the planning with the puck and even the off-puck movement in the offensive zone, willingly activating and attacking empty space is all really, really exciting for the, for the Devils organization and their fan base. Simon Nemetz is a very different type of defenseman, very different stylistically. This is not a player who is going to dazzle you with tremendous handling ability and offensive activations. That said, he is a strong offensive distributor and has a very good shot from the point. And defensively, he has a couple moments here and there that aren't the best, but for the most part is fairly reliable, especially for his age, considering he's playing in the AHL as an 18, 19 year old. And uh, he, he's progressed well as a D plus one. I had him ranked, I believe, 10th on my board in 2022, and I kind of stick by that. I think I think he's treading water with, with how he's done. I think he's a very promising piece. And while I think second overall was still a bit of a reach on him, uh, there is the passing ability and the transition skill and the intelligence that could really, really justify that draft uh, position in a couple years' time. Uh, I'm, I'm not closing the door on that whatsoever. 
And Seamus Casey is another one, not quite the same tier as Luke Hughes and Simon Nemetz. However, he is a dynamic offensive defenseman, also at Michigan, who uh, is a great power play quarterback, a high-end offensive playmaker, really, really deft skill with the puck on his stick, great small area problem-solving ability, and as a whole, one of my favorite, favorite offensive defensemen not in the NHL as of yet. So the Devils are really quite set with their high-end uh, defensive pieces moving forward. Uh, but it drops off a little bit more when you delve beyond that in the, in the prospect pool. And it's why 18th is kind of where they've settled. And I think it could have been anywhere in a range of five rankings from this spot that could have been justified because it's such a peculiar prospect pool because they shipped off all of their B-level prospects in previous trades, mainly to acquire Timo Meyer. Uh, but in terms of players that qualify for our uh, for our definition of prospect, Samu Salmanen still, still has some decent potential as a bottom six depth scorer. Uh, I think uh, Josh Philman is a good selection. He dropped a lot further in the draft than he should have in 2022 and really upped his production as a D plus one. He's quite lanky, but quite toolsy. He has a good shot, decent handler. Uh, and while he's far from a, from a lock of being an NHLer in the future, uh, he was a really good depth selection. Uh, Lini Haminaho is another player who I quite liked as a prospect but thought that got drafted a little bit higher than he should have gone in 2023 uh this is a guy who produced very well in liga uh as as a draft year player but he's quite quite like uh limited to just being a goal scorer uh he his his passing game his dist distribution uh his dynamism his deception are all tools that i see as a bit subpar uh, defensively, there are games where he tries a bit and is decently effective, but for the most part is fairly passive. Uh, and yeah, I think Chase Stillman's another skilled uh, CHL player who could progress further with a couple years, but I'm starting to have a bit more questions as as time passes. But yeah, it's a fascinating prospect pool. I think, especially if you if you start delving into the goaltenders as well, who aren't officially prospects by our mention by, by our criteria, like Nico Dawes, but who didn't play in the NHL at all last season. So I'll throw him in the mix as an option here. Uh, this is a pool with a, a couple really high end pieces and very little beyond that, uh, which is a really interesting type of prospect pool, quite different from the other ones that we've looked at so far. Uh, but in our minds, they are the 18th best pool in the NHL. Once again, special thanks to Sebastian of Locked On NHL Prospects. I'll probably discuss uh, his thoughts in a future episode. Maybe I'll do a collaboration with Jersey Joe because Jersey Joe loves discussing prospects, but obviously I haven't reached out to him uh, as I'm recording this episode. But I definitely want to talk more about the Devils Prospect Pool because I still think they have a decent amount of pedigree in regards to their prospects despite being a playoff team so let me know what you guys think so that's all the time i have for you guys thanks for listening once again let me know what you guys thought about the offseason so far for the devils what do you think about eric carlson on the penguins and what do you think of the prospects for the devils who are you the most excited to see in the near future so once again 
Hit me up on my personal Twitter page at TreyMatt4 or the show's Twitter page at LockedOnDevils. Once again, that's all time I have for you. So like I do to close out every episode, continue to stay safe. Have a wonderful day, New Jersey. Go Devils. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening once again.